Heavenly God, Heavenly Father God, we desperately need you. We are here today earnestly desiring your power, your will, your guidance. Father, we need you to teach us. We need you to inspire us. We need you to convict us, to convert us, to revive us and reform us. And I pray that you will accomplish that wonderful work in our lives today through your Holy Spirit. Please pour your Holy Spirit out upon us. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking a lot about surrender. And surrender is a wonderful thing. Surrender is being willing to go God's way. It's being willing to do God's thing. And we know that's always good. That's always an incredible blessing. We realize that God's way is always the best way. It is exquisite. It is a wonderful way. But sometimes it can be kind of hard to know exactly what that way is. Sometimes God's will is not so clear, not so cut and dry. Have you ever cried out, Lord, I'd, be, I'd love to do your will if only you would show me what it is? I've done that, and sometimes it can be fairly frustrating. A godly woman was once asked to go to Europe and to help out some of the, the new churches that were sprouting up in that area. And she wanted to go, obviously she wanted to do God's will, but she was at that time not feeling well. And she was working on some important writing projects, and she just wasn't sure she wanted to take time off to do this other uh, work. So she prayed about it. She says, Lord, I, I'm willing to do your will. Just please show me. Should I go or should I not? And this is what she writes. By day and by night, my prayers ascended to heaven that I might know the will of God and have perfect submission to it. What a wonderful prayer, right? Know the will of God and be perfectly submitted to it. Still, she says, my way was not made clear. I had no special evidence that I was in the path of duty or that my prayers had been heard. Although I had prayed for months that the Lord would make my path so plain that I would know that I was making no mistake, still I was obliged to say that God hangs a mist before my eyes. Have you ever felt that way? Does God seem sometimes to hang a mist before your eyes? Of course, the person who wrote this was Ellen White. She was a person who God had given powerful and deep insights into the Christian life. And if she had this happen to her, you can bet it's going to happen to us as well. Sometimes it's going to happen that we're just not going to know God's will. And that can be frustrating. What can we do about it? How can we know God's will? How can we get out of his way so that he can show us his will? That's what we'd like to talk about this afternoon. No wonder George Truett wrote, To know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is the greatest discovery, and to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. And that is so true. You know, in the Christian life, there are three different types of choices. Lots and lots of choices, but they all fall into three categories. There are the white choices, the ones that we know are good. There are the black choices, the ones that we know are not good. And then there is a, between those two extremes, there's a whole sea of these gray area choices. We really don't know God's will in these choices. How, then, can we deal with the gray area? I mean, the white and black are easy, but how do we deal with the gray areas? You and I may, for example, plead with God to help us to, to know if he wants us to take that new job, or if he wants us to take that vacation, or if he wants us to accept that leadership position in the church, or if he wants us to buy a new refrigerator, or, or if he wants us to listen to that music, or spend our time and money in a certain way, we want to know God's will because we want to do God's will. We want to be wholly surrendered, unresistant to God. And so we ask him, Lord, what should I do? 
in every area of our life, what should we do? We want to make good choices. Well, a practical example in my own life is vinegar. When I surrendered my life to the Lord, uh, he began to make some changes in my life, and they were all good changes. One of those changes was in my diet. And after uh, a while, I began to be a little bit convicted about this, this vinegar thing in my diet. Um, I had heard some bad things about vinegar, and I wasn't sure that that was really the healthiest thing to be eating. And so I began to, to pray about this aspect of my diet. And I didn't get any uh, word, <laughs> clear word from God saying that I should or shouldn't. I mean, vinegar is not really mentioned much in the Bible. And I wasn't getting a whole lot of clear uh, indication from what, uh, about vinegar, good or bad, from the writings of Ellen White. And so I was wondering whether I sh this is a good thing or a bad thing. So I went to the internet, because of course the internet is always right, right? And I decided to search what uh, I could find out about vinegar. And according to the internet, the vinegar is the healthiest substance known to man. According to the internet, it is a cure-all for everything. But then I went and I talked to Neil Nedley, who is a prominent physician and, and uh, health advocate, and I asked him, what about this vinegar thing? Is this something I should, I should uh, is it good for me or is it bad for me? And he said, don't even let it near your stomach. So I trusted him, and I thought that was probably good advice, but you know, I really liked vinegar. And I was kind of looking for a way to make, make it, uh, part of, to keep it as part of my diet. And the internet, you know, all the things they said about that was so attractive, but I wanted to do God's will also. So I, I continued praying about this. What should I do about this important question? You know, when we talk about knowing God's will, a lot of times we'll have somebody quote to us Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. Isn't that an incredible promise? That's what I want. I want God to speak audibly in my ear for every choice that I need to make. Wouldn't that be great? But you know, I've never heard that voice, not once. I've never heard an audible voice with God telling me what to do. No matter how much I've wanted to, I've never had an audible voice. No matter how much I've prayed for that audible voice, never had it. Now, I know that God does speak audibly to people. I know that He can, and He does. But for me, that has never happened. And I began to wonder, you know, is there something wrong with my spiritual condition? But as I've studied this passage in Scripture, I've come to a startling conclusion. We often understand, misunderstand what this text is actually saying. In the Bible, when left and right are used together in this context, they're talking about things that you shouldn't do. In other words, stay straight. And this is what God is telling us. In Deuteronomy, we are told, Be careful to do the, 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 what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Stay straight. In uh, 2 Chronicles, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This is talking about King Josiah and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Solomon tells us, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. In other words, in Scripture, the right and the left are the wrong ways to go. God's way is the straight way. And so this text in Isaiah is simply telling us that if we, if we start to diverge from God's way, the Holy Spirit's going to convict us. The Holy Spirit is going to give us that word, say, hey, stay straight. He's going to encourage us to do what we know is right. So I don't believe that this verse is actually telling us that God is going to always give us an audible voice to lead us. So there's three important things that you and I need to know about God's guidance. The first thing is that only God can guide us. You and I have insufficient data 
to make many decisions in life. We just cannot guide ourselves. In fact, even if we had all the data that we needed, we still would not have the wisdom and the power in and of ourselves to make that data make sense and actually come out with the right conclusion. Only God can guide us. So that's number one. The Bible says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. If it's going to happen, if God is going to guide us, it's going to have to be him that does it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In other words, as we've seen before, this basic foundation principle of the Christian life, only God can do it. But again, remember, only we can let him. Only God can do it. Only we can let him. So, number two, the second thing we should know about God's guidance is that God longs to do it, right? Because God knows that his way is good. God wants us to go his way. He longs for us to go his way. He, he will do whatever it takes to help us to go his way. And that's encouraging. Isaiah tells us, I will lead the blind by ways that they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. This is the way. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way that you should go. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. God can guide us and God longs to do so. Two very important things that we should know about God's guidance. The third thing is this. We have to let him. We have to let him. Only God can do it. God is able and willing and eager to guide us, but we have to let him. He will not force our will. He will not force himself upon us. We have to let God guide us. Those who accept the one principle of making the service and honor of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. The key to knowing God's will is to be willing to do God's will. There was once two men t walking on the road talking to each other, and the older man was saying to the younger man, you know, you really, I believe you should do this ministry. And the younger man was saying to the older man, well, you know, I've never really felt God calling me to do that. And his older friends looked at him and said, are you sure that you're within calling distance? It's a good question. Are we sure that when God calls us, that we are within calling distance, that we are sensitive to his will? That's something that we can plead with God for. You know, one of the cures in Laodicea, the, the message of Jesus to Laodicea, was ISAV. Why? ISAV is an important part of the Christian life. It's something that we desperately need as Laodicean lukewarm Christians. He says, I advise you to buy from me ISAV to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Why do we need that ISAV? It's because the eye is the sensitive conscience, the inner light of the mind. Upon its correct view of things, the spiritual healthfulness of the whole soul and being depends. One of the three cures for Laodicea is this ISAB, this ability to be sensitive to God's will. But we as a people have become unsensitized, desensitized, unsensitive to God's will. And Jesus is saying to us, you need to buy from me this ISAB so that you can be sensitive to my will, so you can be 
close and hearing my calling. I advise you to buy from me eyes have to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Notice that the word is, there is buy. Jesus says, I, wanted, I want you to have this. This is a precious treasure, but you need to buy it. And what, of course, does it mean to buy these things? What is the currency of heaven? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, Jesus says. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. In this verse, Jesus tells us how we can buy these three precious treasures in um, Revelation 3. The currency of heaven is our choices. Our choice to repent and our choice to open ourselves wholeheartedly to Jesus. We are told that, says Christ, by renouncing your own self-sufficiency, giving up all things, however dear to you, you may buy the gold, the raiment, and the eye salve that you may see. The currency of heaven is our choices, and the cost for these precious treasures that Jesus offers us, the church of Laodicea, is all of them. God is giving us this opportunity to give him our choices so that he can be almighty God in us, so that he can guide us. When we give up all things, no matter how dear to us, then we are able to receive that ISAD that we so desperately need. God is willing, God is able, God is eager to bless us, to lead us, to show us his will, but we have to let him. So these are the three things that we should know about God's guidance. Only he can guide us. He longs to do so, but we have to let him. Three foundational facts about God's guidance. In other words, we come back to that basic principle, only God can do it, only we can let him. So what is the key? What is the key to knowing God's will? Here it is. The key to knowing God's will is surrender. That may not surprise you. (laughs) Surrender is the key to knowing God's will. If you want to know God's will, you must be willing to do God's will. You must be willing to give him all your choices. You must be willing to go his way no matter what he asks. That is the key to knowing God's will, surrendering to his will. Until you have the resolution to obey God's will, you cannot have his guidance. It's as simple as that. If we are resisting God, if we are holding back on God, if we are failing to surrender our lives wholly to him, then we can't have any assurance that we will know his will. We can't have any assurance that we will be sensitive to his will. The only way that we can have that confidence is if we are wholly surrendered to him. Because when we are willing to do his will, then he is able to show us. But, but he will not bend us to his will. He will not force our free will. Surrender is the key. The key to knowing God's will is surrender. Until you have the resolution to obey God's will, you cannot have his guidance. That's our key phrase this afternoon. Let's read it out loud together. The key to knowing God's will is surrender. Until you have the resolution to obey God's will, you cannot have his guidance. So, how does God guide us? Well, there's there's many ways that God guides us. We're familiar with some of these. God guides us through biblical principles. He guides us through examples and words of godly friends. He guides us through the counsels of Ellen White, through other inspired Christian writers. And he he often guides us through opening and closing doors. You know, this this last one is one of my favorite ones. Because a lot of times, some of the things that that I feel called to do actually can't happen. There's doors that are just closed right in my face and I can't walk through them. And there's other things that I want to do and the door seems open. But one thing I know about God is that he's really good at opening and closing doors, impossible doors. He will open the door that seems impossibly closed, and he will close the door that seems impossibly open. 
And that's what I like about God, because if we are willing to do his will and we say, Lord, the doors are, you, are yours, do with those doors as you wish. Slam them in my face if you want, open them if you want, I'm going to walk through the open doors. We can have confidence in God's guiding us. But that only works if we're surrendered to him. That only works if we give him our choices and are willing to let him control those doors. But there's another reason, another way that God guides us that is not necessarily as well understood, but it's very important, and that is godly guilt. God does use guilt. Contrary to popular belief, God uses guilt, but it's godly guilt. Now remember, for every good thing of God, the devil has a counterfeit. And so we have to be sensitive to this counterfeit. What is good guilt and what is false guilt? Good guilt, the the Holy Spirit conviction, is a powerful tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit. But false guilt, guilt is the devil's counterfeit and it destroys. So how can you tell the difference? The difference is godly guilt is gentle, doesn't force your will. It encourages, it builds up. Whereas false guilt, the devil's guilt, makes us um, depressed and discouraged and, and overwhelms us. God is gentle. God is seeking to encourage. God is seeking to build up. But the devil just wants to break us down. So that's the difference between good guilt and godly guilt. God sometimes works, I mean, he, well, he often works very gently Because of our free wills, he will not force our will. He works very gently with us. Sometimes it takes him some time to convince us that something is wrong or something is right. Part of sanctification is God's work to gently guide us into his will. To show us more and more that perfect way. And that's a good thing. That's him opening our eyes to what he wants us to do. He turns the gray into black or white for us. Martin Luther was a legalist. He was a monk at one point, and uh, he was doing everything he could to earn his way into heaven. He really wanted to get to heaven, and he was willing to do whatever it took, and so he would beat himself, and he would do all these things to try to earn his way into heaven. One day he was reading this Bible that was strapped to a wall in his monastery, and these words, the just shall live by faith, just stood out. And he said, what? What does the Bible mean when it says the just shall live by faith? What's this about? I thought that the just will live by legalism, by works. I have to earn my way. But the Bible is saying the just shall live by faith. And this was the first time that this this concept had been imposed on his mind, and it just blew him away. But it didn't cure him of his legalism. A few months later, he was on his way to Rome. And as he got near to Rome, he stayed in a monastery. And the monks there were so gluttonous and so greedy and so licentious, it actually made Martin Luther sick. He said, if these monks who are so close to Rome and to the center of the Christian church cannot work their way into heaven, and if they're so bad off, then what hope do I have? A simple monk that lives in the middle of nowhere. And it made him so sick that he almost died. But as he was laying on his bed, these words once again flashed into his mind. The just shall live by faith. And those words gave him comfort. And he actually got better. He got out of bed. But you know what? Twice now the Lord had given him this concept in his mind. But still he was a legalist. Because as soon as he got to Rome, the first thing he did was he went to the Pilate staircase which uh, has a special indulgence attached to it. If you crawl up on your knees, praying all the way up, you get this special indulgence. There's actually a sign, I've been here, there's actually a sign off to the left and tells you the exact spiritual um, indulgence you get for this act. And so Martin Luther was there and he was crawling up on his knees and the third time 
Again, this, this phrase popped into his head. The just shall live by faith. And he, this time it, it clicked. He, he got it. Oh my goodness, what am I doing? I'm trying to earn something that has already been freely given. And he jumped up from his feet, jumped up on his feet, ashamed of himself, and ran away. Never went back. And it cured him of his legalism. Uh, Merle Daubigny, um, Martin Luther's biographer, wrote this. It is often necessary that a truth, in order to produce its due effect on the mind, must be repeatedly presented to it. And that's true. That's how God works with us. He works with us gently, and He's like an he's like a, a inexorable wave, you know, a, a tide, that He will come and He will impress us, and then He'll back off a little bit, and then He'll impress us some more, and He'll back off a little bit. But He's constantly working with us, constantly pushing us out of our comfort zone. And this is a good thing. This is part of the sanctification process. But He doesn't overwhelm us. That's why... The Christian life is a process because he is slowly, gently showing us his will. We may at first resist that. We may say, oh man, that can't be the Holy Spirit talking to me. I mean, no, you know, vinegar is not that bad. It, it's not a problem, you know, and then we'll just, and then the Holy Spirit will back off a little bit. And then he'll come back a little bit later and he'll, he'll convict us again. You know, we'll say, what? What? what, what's this all about? And over time, God will, will be able then to convict us and to actually help us to know for certain that this is God's will. So, plead with God three things. <laughs> plead with God that you may know His will, that you may will His will, and that you may have the power to do His will. Every day, I encourage you to plead with God for those three things. Not because you're trying to convince God to give you those three things, but because you want them bad enough that the more you ask for them, the more you want it, and God is able to give these things to, to you. Don't resist him. Let God change your mind. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, All right then, have it your own way. Which type of person do you want to be? Do you want to be the type of person that says, Lord, thy will be done? Or do you want to be the type of person that God says, Okay, have it your way. My friends, I can tell you what, what kind of person you want to be. You want to be the type of person that will go God's way, because God's way is the only good way. So, it's important to recognize how God does guide us, but it's also important to recognize how He doesn't guide us. There's at least two ways that God does not guide us. First, He does not guide us through feelings. Feelings have an important part in the Christian life, but their purpose is not to guide us. We cannot base decisions on feelings. That's not their purpose. We cannot say, oh, well, I feel this, therefore I should do it. Just because we feel something does not mean it's God's will. Just because we feel like we shouldn't do something doesn't mean it isn't His will. We need to, to make our decisions based on a Bible-based, Holy Spirit, prayerful conviction, not on feelings. The second thing that we should not depend on is the actions and choices of others. We know that we are living in the end times, that we are the church of Laodicea, and so it shouldn't surprise us that the actions and words and um, values even, of the Christians around us are not necessarily going to be on fire for God. We are lukewarm. A lot of our, our examples, our peers and our parents and even our pastors, may be a little bit lukewarm, off balance. And so we can't just say, well, it must be okay because my pastor's doing it, or it must be okay because my parents did it. We must base our choices on the Word of God, prayerfully studying and letting the Holy Spirit convict us, willing to know His will and to do His will. So, sometimes it seems that God is silent. And that's what Ellen White experienced, and I've experienced it many times in my life. 
God seems to be silent. We want him to show us his will. We're truly willing to do his will. And we say, Lord, why are you so silent? Well, what should we do? Or, or why uh, is God silent? Let's just go through, quickly through some of the, way, the reasons why God might be silent, and then we can look at what we should do about it. First, one reason why God might be silent is that he has already spoken to us, and he doesn't repeat himself. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't repeat himself. He says, I've told you what I want, now uh, you need to do it. But sometimes God tells us what he wants, and we, say, and we laugh a little bit, and say, okay, Lord, yeah, thank you, but you know, what do you really want? You know, seriously now, what do you really want? But God says, I've already told you what I want. I want you to do what I've asked you. This happened to Abraham when he was asked to sacrifice his son. We are told that in his doubt and anguish, he bowed upon the earth and prayed as he had never prayed before for some confirmation of the command if he must perform this terrible duty. And he went to the place where he had several times met the heavenly messengers, hoping to meet them again and receive some further direction, but none came to his relief. God had told Abraham what to do, and Abraham was now saying, okay, Lord, but really, what do you really want me to do? And God was saying, I've already told you. I want you to do it. Do what I've asked. And sometimes God says the same thing to us. Another reason why God may be silent is that we may not be fulfilling the conditions. I once heard this possibly fictitious story that really uh, does a good job, I think, of showing how this works in our Christian life. It was about this guy who wanted to lose weight, but he was in a habit of stopping by the donut shop every day on his way to work and getting a box of donuts. And so he said to the Lord, you know, Lord, if you don't want me to do this, if this is something that you'd rather I didn't do, then I'd like to, to propose a test. If you would just keep the parking lot full so that there's no place for me to park when I go to buy the donut shop on my way to work, then I'll know that it's not your will for me to buy donuts. But guess what? It turns out that it must have been God's will for him to buy donuts because every time he went by the donut shop, there was a parking space available. Sometimes he had to drive around the block for 10 or 15 minutes before it opened up, but there was always a spot available. My friends, we do that with God. We play games with God. We, we ask God to show us, and then we want to do our own thing. We know what the answer is. We know that, that this is unhealthy, maybe, and that uh, he doesn't want us to do it, but we say, okay, Lord, just give me a sign. And God is saying, hey, I've already shown you. If you're not living up to the light that you already have, how can you expect me to give you more light? All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. In other words, many of God's blessings are conditional. And if we're not living up to the light that we already have, then God is not able to bless us further. The key is surrender. If we are truly willing to do God's will, then he will show us his will. He will work on us to know his will, to will his will, and to do his will. The third reason why, why God may um, be silent is that he may be trying to teach us something or to test us in some way. And God does this. God helps us to grow by testing us and by teaching us. And so we need to uh, sometimes be a little bit patient. On a cellar in Germany in World War II were written these words. I believe. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I feel it not. I believe in God, even when he is silent. Sometimes God's silent is hard to bear, but God is saying, trust me, I know what I'm doing. God gives us sufficient evidence to enable us to accept the truth understandingly, but he does not propose to remove all occasion for doubt and unbelief. Should he do this, there would no longer be a necessity for the exercise of faith, for we would be able to walk by sight. 
God knows what he's doing. Trust him. I once heard this wonderful song, if you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Trust God. Entrust yourself to him. Believe that you have surrendered yourself wholly to him and, and that now he can do whatever he wants to do. Give him the time. Sometimes we have to be a little bit patient. We have to, rate, we have to wait for God. We, we can't run ahead of him. And God can guide us. The fourth reason why God may be silent is that we are not ready. Jesus said to his disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. If God were to share with us all the things that he needs to share with us at once, we would explode. We can't bear them all. That's why this, the, the Christian life is a process, because God has to gently show us these things over time. So we have to realize that we're not always ready to know his complete will. And we should be willing to accept that. Okay, Lord, show me as, as much as you need to, as much as you want to, and I'll be patient um, to let you show me more. But the key there is not to be complacent. We've got to be patient, but not complacent. In other words, we're continually striving to know God's will. We're continuing to study to know God's will. We're continuing to plead to know God's will. But if he doesn't show us right away, we're patient, but not complacent. And the last reason, fifth reason, why God may be silent is that he may not wish to command us on this particular issue. Let me give you an example. Take, um, let, let's say that you have a daughter and um, you have a garden and your garden desperately needs weeding. And so you say to your daughter, I would like you to go out and weed the garden today. I don't have time. I'm really busy, but I'd like for you to go out and weed the garden for me. And she says, okay. She goes outside. She weeds the garden. She comes back in and says, I'm done. And you say, wow, thank you so much. That was wonderful. But you know what's even better than that? What's even better than that if she, is if she goes out and weeds the garden without you asking her at all. Right? If you're busy and, and at the end of the day she comes in and she says, you know what, I saw that you were so busy and you probably wouldn't have time for the garden today, so I went out and weeded it. Isn't it even better that she did it without even being asked? And sometimes God is that way too. Sometimes God would like for us to do things because we love him, not because he's demanded it. And so sometimes he doesn't tell us. I remember once I was praying, Lord, show me when I should fast and when I shouldn't fast. And then I realized, yeah, that's, that, that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. You know, fasting is something we do for him because we want to please him, because we, we, we want the benefits of that. And so it's not something he's going to necessarily demand or command a certain time. It's something we do out of the spontaneous, uh, spontaneousness of our heart. So these are some of the reasons why God might be silent. Maybe he's already spoken. Maybe we're not fulfilling the conditions Maybe God is testing us or teaching us, or maybe we're just not ready to know all of his will at this particular time. And then, of course, maybe God does not wish to command us on this issue. These are all good reasons why God might be silent. So the question then becomes, what if you have to make a decision and God is silent? What can you do if you, you just have to decide, you have to use that power of choice for something, and you don't know what to do? Just like Ellen White. I'd like to propose that in that case, which does happen from time to time, in that case, if you just have to make a decision and God seems to be silent, that you should err on the side of healthy self-denial. In other words, if you err on the, healthy, on the side of healthy self-denial, that is the choice that God can work with the most powerfully. Because erring on the side of healthy self-denial goes against our sinful nature. It's something that we don't want to do necessarily. It may be unpleasant, it may be uncomfortable, but it's something we do because we recognize that it is the harder thing. And the nice thing about erring on the side of healthy self-denial is that this is the choice that God can most easily counteract. 
There was once this godly man who had been called to the mission field and he didn't want to go. And he said, Lord, you know I don't want to go, but I'm willing to do your will. But I really, really want you to tell me if this is your will or not. But he never got that audible voice. He did, and, he, and it came to, up to the point where he had to make that decision. What am I going to do? And so he decided to err on the side of healthy self-denial. And this is what he wrote. If I am willing to go, God can prevent me. But if I refuse to go, God himself will not force my will. So erring on the side of healthy self-denial is a way that God can easily counteract. If you have to make a decision and you just don't know what his will is, err on the side of healthy self-denial. If all else fails, err on the side of healthy self-denial. This is a useful principle in our struggle to know and to do God's will. And this is what Ellen White did. She writes, Although I had prayed for months that the Lord would make my path so plain that I might know that I was making no mistake, still I was obliged to say that God hangs a mist over my eyes. But when I had taken my seat in the cars, the assurance came that I was moving in accordance with the will of God. The sweet peace that God alone can give was imparted to me, and like a weary child, I found rest in Jesus. She decided to do the hard thing, the thing that was against her, her inclination to err on the side of healthy self-denial. She decided to go to Europe and to do God's work there, even though she wasn't feeling well, even though she traveled very poorly during the summer. It was very hot uh, on those trains. And even though she had important writing projects that she was doing at that time, she decided to err on the side of healthy self-denial. And it was not until she'd actually taken her seat in the cars that the assurance came that she was in God's will. And this is also what I decided to do with my vinegar question. I really did not know what to do. I had, I had evidence on both sides. It was good for you. It was bad for you. And I knew that I liked it. I knew that it was an important part of my diet. And I knew that it would be self-denying to take it out of my diet. And I said, okay, Lord, um, I'm going to do the thing that I believe is right. I'm going to err on the side of healthy self-denial. If you'd want me to reincorporate vinegar back into my diet, I'll be glad to go your, your way. I'll be glad to do your will. All you have to do is show me, and I'll be glad to go back to it. But for right now, I'm going to err on the side of healthy self-denial. And you know what I found out? The more and more I went without vinegar, the more I realized that I had made the right decision. The more uh, my diet improved, the more I began to enjoy the flavors of foods. The vinegar had been covering those flavors. And also, it helped me to eat less of the unhealthy foods that I was also eating, some of the deep fat fried foods. I mean, it's no fun to eat french fries without ketchup, you know. And so I began to reduce the, uh, the other types of unhealthy foods in my diet, and this was a good thing. And I learned that I could make a very, very delicious salad dressing with just lemon juice and uh, olive oil and some herbs. So I've become convinced that that was God's will for me personally in my diet. I erred on the side of healthy self-denial, and then God reaffirmed that decision. And that, I think, is one of the ways we can, we can work with God if he is silent on something. So... This is the Christian life, full of choices, good choices that are obviously good, bad choices that are obviously bad, and a whole sea of gray choices. And God's work in our lives, part of the sanctification process, is changing those gray choices into either black or white, showing us His will, helping us to understand what He wants us to know. Full, fully surrendered, if we are fully surrendered to Jesus, we can have that confidence that He will succeed in guiding us. If we do not trust in our own understanding, if we lean solely on Him, we can trust Him to guide us, because He has to. Only God can guide us, and He eagerly wants to guide us, but we have to let Him. Only God can, God longs to, we have to let Him. That is the key 
to knowing God's will, surrender, letting God do whatever it takes to guide us, to show us his will. The key to knowing God's will is surrender. Until you have the resolution to obey God's will, you cannot have his guidance. You know, something amazing about the power of God, God's power is amazing, not because he forces himself on us, but because he accomplishes his will without forcing himself. He accomplishes his will in us gently, subtly. To me, it's amazing how God guides me without an audible voice. He actually succeeds in getting me where he wants me without using that powerful audible voice. That is the power of God. If we let him, if we surrender our life to him, God can and will get us exactly where he wants us without forcing our free will. He'll do it gently, and it may take some time, but if we don't resist him, he will succeed. By God's grace, my friends, let's prayerfully seek to know God's will. Let's fulfill the conditions of of God's will. Let's be patient, but not complacent. Let's err on the side of healthy self-denial. And above all, let's give God all of our choices. Let's take that leap of faith into the arms of Jesus, surrendering ourselves wholly to Him, letting Him be Almighty God in us. Only God can guide us. He longs to do us. And if He is King of our life, He will succeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you will guide us. Thank you so much, Father, that you want to, that you long to, that you're able to, and that we can let you. Please, Heavenly Father God, keep us surrendered to you. Grant that we may know your will. Grant that we may will your will. And grant that we may do your will. All these things are in your power only. We thank you for these precious blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.